Okay, so we, we're going to change a little bit around this time. We're up to Parak Yudbet. And um, what happens is the Parak Yudbet chapter 12 is basically um, a summary of the, the uh, battles that came before. And now what's going to happen is that Yoshua is going to divide the land as opposed to conquering the land. Because at the end of chapter 11, we had this phrase, right? The land was silent from war. So now the Savior Yeshua is, is, has two main sections, really, let's call it three. Sections one to 12 deal with the conquest. Uh, I'm sorry, Prakim, the chapters. Uh, 1 to 12 are the conquest, and chapters 13 to 21 deal with the division of the land. And then 22, 23, 24, the last three chapters are more of a conclusion and discussion. So basically, um, what I've seen from the text is that we're going to need to move a little faster. There's a lot of geography here a lot of place names that we don't really know where they are. Um, I, I do love maps and I, I managed to get a dot micro map into the computer for the screen share. So I'm very uh, hopeful that we'll, I wanna give you the general sense of it as opposed to um, too much detail because it's going to be, um, you know, the, the, the Technicalities are not necessarily what I want to spend time on. Okay, so let's take a look at Parakid Bet. My hope is, uh oh, what happened? What did I do? I don't know, I did the wrong thing there. I'm trying to screen share. Okay, sorry. All right, here we are. Okay, so let me find my map. Okay, it's sorry, it's a little bit crooked, <laughs> but still, this is the Doth Mikra map, which I find to be the best of the, the ones that I have seen here. And for chapter 12, we're going to summarize Moshe's um, conquests, which happened in the previous generation in the desert, the conquest of the East Bank of the Jordan. And then we're gonna look at Yeshua's conquests on the West Bank. This is, there are other maps. I put in a lot of maps here. This one perhaps is also very nicely delineated. If you see here, um, this is the Kinneret, and this is the Dead Sea. And the Jordan River flows down into the Kinneret, the Sea of Galilee, and down into the Dead Sea. And that the Jordan forms a natural border between what we call the East Bank, the West Bank, um, you know, the, the revisionists, the Jabotinsky people used to have a little song um, that went like this. There are two banks of the Jordan. This is ours and that's also ours. So if you see the, the biblical heartland of Israel is what appears in pink in this, in this map. And what's going on in Parak you'd bet, is the general um, summary of what Moshe conquered back in the last generation and what Yeshua conquered at this point in time. So let's take a look here at the, the way, I'm sorry, oh, Yud Gimel. Okay, I'm hoping to get to Yud Bet and Yud Gimel. Now, if you take a look at the breakup of Parak Yud Bet, you'll see that verses, one, two, six, the first six sukim, Aleph and Vav, talk about the, land, the kings that Moshe conquered in the East Bank. 
right? And then Zion and Chet talk about the kings that Yoshua conquered on the West Bank. And if you take a look at this, it's quite astounding. From Pasuk Tet all the way to Pasuk Havdalad is a list of the 31 kings that Yoshua conquered. Now, I put in the chat last time the Yoshua song, which is actually quite funny. Um, every word in that song is a word, uh, it comes from the Tanakh. And, you know, a lot of these kings' names rhyme, so you get a whole song out of it, although it's not particularly musical, but it's more like a chant, but it, it works. And I, I struggled to find for you a, a list the way it's supposed to be. And all I could come up with is the English. You see, in the Tanakh, each king gets its own line. You see that? And it's a quite striking. It's very, um, I, I really couldn't put this in so easily, but perhaps you could see, if you look in the Tanakh, every king gets their own line, right? We'll talk about that a little bit further on. Let's go through Perak Aleph. There's the Meshula, that's my favorite one. There you go. Okay, Yeshua Perak Yudbeis. And these, Pasagalaf, these are the kings of the land that the children of Israel struck and they inherited their land on the east bank of the Jordan, east of the sun, from the river Arnon until the mountain of Hermon and all of the Eastern Arabah. So getting back to our map, okay. This doesn't, it's a good map, maybe for later. Maybe I want something a little more clear here. No, this one. Okay, from the Pusik says, from, Naha are known, right? And until Har Hermon. So Naha are known, this is not good in this map either. I am not happy with any maps here, just saying. Not happy. Okay. <laughs> All right, I really had trouble with the maps. Okay, here's the Dead Sea. This map will maybe work right now. This is the Dead Sea, you see here, this this is the Kinneret, the little purple thing, and going down the Yardain, and this is the Dead Sea. Now, about halfway in the middle of the Dead Sea, you see a tributary going east. That is the Arnon. And at the top of the Yardain, right, this is another um, uh, little river, and this one is called over here, up the Jordan and here, they're not named on these maps, that's called the Yabok. Now, from here, which is basically the Arnon, until the Yabok, this territory was the territory of Sihon, and up here was the territory of Og. And this is what Moshe conquered. This is told in the, here, this is better. Um, here, this is the Arnon and this is the Yabok. And Moshe conquered this territory from Sichon and this territory from Og. These two kings, Sichon and Og, were extremely powerful kings of the nations of Amori. And when the Jewish people came here, originally, Right? If you look in the beginning of Sefer Dvarim, chapter two, you'll see that the story is told how the Jewish people are tied, their time in the desert has come to an end and they're supposed to go into the land and they can't get in. They can't get in through Edom, they can't go in through Moab, they can't get through Ammon because Hashem says to them, these are your relatives and you're not allowed to bother them and you're not allowed to make war with them, too bad. So what happens is the Kodesh Baruch realizes that 
you know, you can't go through Edom, you can't go through Moab, you can't go through Ammon. How do we get in there? So Hashem allowed Sichon to capture this territory, Cheshbon, Debon, all these are cities of Sichon. He captured them from Ammon. And the Gemara calls this purification in a certain sense because Sichon, who was not a relative of ours, in other words, he was not from Moab, Ammon, or Edom, where we had been told not to fight with them. Sihon was fair game, so to speak, in the Jewish context. So when the Jewish people came here, and actually we were not looking for war, and Moshe sent messengers and said to Sihon, we just want to go through. We, we're not going to do anything. We will pay for our water, and we'll pay for our bread, and we're not going to bother you. And Sihon said, oh, you think so? And he came out and attacked. And he lost that battle. And the Jewish people took over these territories. See here? And furthermore, Og came out. Og was the great giant. Now, uh, we'll get to Og. Maybe I'll show you in the Psukim when we get to the Psukim. Okay, so the first thing we're saying, this is what they inherited. Classic bet, Sichon Melech Amori. Sichon was a king of the Amori. He dwelt in Cheshbon from Aroer in the Arnon until Gilad and until the Yabok. That's what I mentioned to you. Gilbane Amma, Baravad, Yam, Kinrot, Kinneret. This is the Kinneret. East until the wet, the, the west, the sea of the plains, in other words, Yam HaMelech, Mizracha. All these place names, telling you the borders of Sichon. Now, um, okay, so Sichon. Uh, this territory, Sichon, this territory was Og. Og was the king of the Bashan. Now, if you look at a map of today, Bashan is where the Golan Heights are. So this entire area was taken over by the Jews. The, at the time that Sichon took over this swath of territory, which was to the east of the Dead Sea, he pushed Amon further east, and Moab further south. And so the Jewish people were able to take over this whole area, which is, you know, from the Dead Sea, from the Nahal Arnon, which goes uh, across the Dead Sea, all the way up to Bashan, that whole territory was possessed by the Jews. Now, Og, Og was left for the Rifaim, the Pasuk says. He was a remnant of the Rifaim. Now, Rifaim in modern Hebrew means ghosts. There was actually a very popular street called Emek Rafaim, the Valley of the Ghosts. And the, uh, the, the Farshim think that Rafaim comes from the word Rafet, because the Rafaim were giants. And so when everyone, anyone saw a giant, they became so frightened that they became weakened. And so that's why they were called Rafaim. Og himself is described in Sefer Dvarim, right? Um, not, not himself, but his bed. He had a, uh, an iron bed and it was preserved in the capital of Rabah. Rabah is the capital of Ammon. And if you think Ammon sounds like Amman, I think so too. And I think probably Amman is a, a place name reserved, preserved uh, from the, the nation Ammon. His bed was preserved in the capital of Rabbah in Ammon, and it was nine cubits long and four cubits wide. A cubit is a foot and a half, which means his bed was 13 and a half feet long and six feet wide. So if he fit in there, he was not a small person. And Hashem tells Moshe, Rabbeinu, don't be afraid of him. I will give him to you. The Midrashim say that he was the last of the giants of that particular type of giant, the Rifaim, and he, they were from before the flood, and he survived. The Midrash says he survived the flood by hanging on to the outside of the Teva. I always found that an interesting Midrash. 
in any event, Og was the last one of the Rufaim and Moshe and the Jewish people killed him off and that was the end of them. And he was Moshe al-Bahar Kermon b'salcha b'chol ha-bashan ad-gul ha-kshuri ha-machati ha-tziya gil-ag-gul And he ruled in the Kermon all the way up north, the Kermon. Uh, yeah, right, all the way up north, the Kermon here. And he ruled this whole area, and Moshe and the Jewish people conquered that, which was some feet. Now, here's an interesting thing. All of a sudden, we get Moshe in here, and he is called Ebed Hashem. And again, here, um, right, you see here, here are the Pasuk Alav, Asher Hiku B'nei Israel. And then in Pasuk Vav, it says, Moshe Evan Hashem Ubnei Israel Hikum. So that's kind of an interesting thing there, because, and we see that also in the next parak, in Parak Yukimel, we keep repeating Moshe Evan Hashem. And the Mepharsh um, talk about this Moshe Evan Hashem, why mention that Moshe is Evan Hashem, why say it twice? Moshe Evan Hashem, Moshe Evan Hashem. So it's something to remember that. Moshe's obituary, basically, is he was Evan Hashem. Very, very interesting. The greatest, one of our leaders, and this is what's said about it. He was the servant of God, and that was summing up his amazing career. And I think that we could take that as a, um, as definitely a lesson for us that if this is all, we don't say anything else, but Moshe has so many accomplishments he had, but the, the Mikra calls him here, Eben Hashem, and he served Hashem, and that was his greatness. And that is a lesson for us, that serving Hashem is the greatest thing to aspire to. And it's interesting, if you think about it, um, I heard from uh, one of the um, quotes of Rabbi Zachariah Wallerstein, it's very sad. We lost a very good man there. And he said, what does it Evid say? The only thing an Evid says is, yes. Want to do something? Yes. Right? Yes, they saved the master. And that is the great, um, great lesson that we get. So yes, Fadish Baruch Hu asks us stuff, and sometimes it's difficult stuff. And our job is to always say yes. Okay, something to strive for. Now, the Malvim says that he's mentioned here to tell us that uh, the conquest of the East Bank was according to what God wanted, because Moshe always did what God wanted. And even though the East Bank wasn't uh, technically the land of Israel, that is what he did. And um, Ralbag has an interesting comment on this. Ralbag says, kings of flesh and blood send their armies out in front of them, and if they win, they take the credit. HaKadosh Baruch Hu does all the fighting, and he gives the Jewish people the credit. If you look at Tehillim, it says, in Tehillim, in Kuflam and Bav, right? God does all these things, but he, he gives us the credit for it. Okay. Pasuk Zayim Chet, we're moving along to the, um, the conquests of Yoshua. Ela Malchei Aretz Asher Yikar Yoshua Bnei Israel Be'ever Yaden Yama Mibal Gad Be'Katzelavon Adahar Halak Oles Seira. So these are the kings of the land, Pasuk Zayim, that Yoshua struck. Now we've moved over to the West Bank, right, to the land of Israel proper. And from Baal Gad, which is probably Baalbek, the dust maker things, all the way up north in the Lebanon, until down south in Seir, and Yeshua, by Yitna Yeshua, the ship to Israel, Yerusha, Kemachlekotam. And um, Yeshua gave those lands that he conquered to the, the tribes of Israel according to how they're divided. So what's on the east bank is for Reuben, God, and half of Menashe. And what's on the West Bank is for the other nine and a half tribes. 
and Chet sums this up. Bahar, Bashvela, Baharaba, Bashvedot, Bamidbar, Banegev, all the different types of places in the mountains, in the lowlands, in the plains, in the waterfalls, in the desert, in the south. And then the names of the nations that he conquered, the Chiti, the Amoi, the Kanani, Prizi, Chidi, Rusi. Notice there were only six because the Gashi had moved away. And this is the end of the section that details the conquests of Yoshua. And then we come to this, you know, very, very strange section, Pasik Tet, until the end of the Perak, right? All of the 31 kings, right? Melech Yerifo, Echad, Melech Ha'ai, Hashem Ritzad Beitel, Echad, Melech Yerushalayim, Echad, Melech Heber, Echad, Melech Yerush, Echad, Melech Lachesh, Echad, you get the idea, Melech Eglo, Melech Gezer, Melech Tvir, 31 kings conquered by Yoshua, which is quite astounding. So how do we end off this? Melech Tirza, Pasuk Chavdalet, Melech Tirza Echad, Kalm Lachim Shoshim Be'echad. This is a really astounding list uh, in many, many ways. Let's just talk about the, the structure of it first, and then we'll look at the, the substance. So the structure is very interesting because I showed you, it's, it's very hard to show you. I didn't get this into the, you see that there's a line here and a line there, right? Each king's name, Echad, King Echad, King Echad, King Echad, King Echad. And the Gemara has a very interesting discussion on this, and I did get that for you, Gemara and Megillah, okay? Over here, if you follow with me. Um, Right? Wait a second, let's skip a lot. What does this mean? Okay. In the Torah, in the Torah scroll, right? Not in the text that you have in front of you in the Koskodolis or a Nabi they have in front of you. In a Torah scroll, or in a Megillah scroll, a, a Shira has a certain structure. So, for example, it's hard to see. Okay, you could see here, I, I set up for you the Shira Tayam. Shira Tayam, you see, it looks like a sort of um, brickwork. And that is what the, what the Chazal talk about. And they say in every shear, it's set up in such a way. It's like a very, very, I found this such an interesting measure. It's set up in such a way that a whole brick is on half a brick, and half a brick is on a whole brick. So there's a sort of stacking feeling, right, that, they, that you have from this shira. But, and this, this is the Gemara Megillah, it's talking about Megillah Dester, and it's talking about the, the sons of Haman. If you ever see a Megillah scroll, the sons of Haman, each one has its own line. All these guys, each one gets a line. And the Gemara takes note of it and says, and all the songs, which is not really a song, but the list of Haman's sons is not a song, and neither are the list of the 31 kings a song. But it's interesting. It says, these, these are not. In other words, it's counted as, uh, let's, let's define Shira as a poem as opposed to a song. Except for this poem, the sons of Haman and the kings of Canaan, there you have, right, a, a half a brick on top of half a brick and a brick on top of a brick. Why? My time, why? That they should never arise again. Their downfall should be complete. I found this to be a fascinating explanation of why the psukim are set up this way. In any event, what do we learn from this? What do we learn from this? Okay. There are 17 battles of these 31 kings, 17 battles we hear about, right? Where Yoshua conquers those kings. 15, um, uh, 14 battles altogether, all 14 battles that we don't hear about. And it goes from south up north, right? Southernmost King Yerifo, all the way up to 
Nafator, and Melch um, Tirzah. We're going from south to north. What's going on here, and how do we understand these? Each one of these is a, is a is a king. All right. Now, if look, you know, those of us who live in Israel know Israel is not a big place. And every city, if every city had a king, you know, you'd like have hundreds of kings. How does we, how do we understand this king stuff here? So there's a very beautiful medrash which I didn't uh, set up for you, but I'll I'll, I'll tell you. Okay, it's in a Tanhuma, and it goes like this. Okay, every one of these kings. Right, wanted to have had a kingdom somewhere else, and they all wanted a piece of Eretz Yisrael. And the the Mefarshim talk about this, the Kliyaka, the Chida, and they say, why why is that? Because Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, was always a very prestigious place, and if you had a city in the land of Israel, then you were somebody. And you were a king, even if your city was a small city <clears throat> and your territory was small, you were a king. And it's interesting because nothing really has changed if you think about it, because, you know, even today, everybody wants a piece of the pie. You know, the, the, the Hamas in the north, all, all the Arab countries, they all want a piece of, of Eretz Yisrael. Everybody wants a piece of us. One second, excuse me. And we have this very, very interesting thing, right? And um, all of these people had a kingdom. Now, Radak suggests that each kingdom wasn't just a city, but all the area around, and that's why they were called a king. But, um, you know, the, the Ramban says that this was in honor of Eretz that they were called kings. And in fact, the kings, Sihon and Og, who were conquered on the East Bank, were greater and more powerful than all these kings of uh, the land of Israel, each one with their own city and their own power, but um, they, were, they were greater, and Moshe was the one who conquered them. Now, I think that really we should think about this, you know, in terms of today, and we call that a lesson, that we should have a tremendous can you imagine looking at this list of kings and saying Yeshua conquered all of them in a short time and each king had its own power many of them were in walled cities and um, it was an incredible great miracle and we just went through a tukufa, we went through a period of time where we celebrated in very quick succession, you know, Yom HaZikaron, Yom HaTzmaot, Yom Rushalayim. And uh, we take a minute to focus on the great brachas that we have, that we are, you know, we are post the War of Independence and the War of 67 and Kodesh Baruch Hu, you know, Maisa Avav Simulabanim, but they conquered then and they conquer today. And nothing could be done without the help of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. So lesson number two is a lot of gratitude for all these Nisim. And it's an interesting thing that, you know, I thought about this also is that looking at the list of kings, you say, wow, 31 kings, right? And so much, it was such a great victory. What, what a magnitude that is. But the text emphasizes it, it's very interesting. In total, there were 31 kings, but each one of those kings was a, a whole challenge in himself. And every territory that was conquered was a whole different challenge in itself. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful lesson for us. You know, we, we go through life and we have many, many challenges. And sometimes, uh, you know, you don't have perspective and you're like, it's too overwhelming, this challenge is too hard. 
and this challenge is too high, and this one is echad. This challenge is hard, and this test is hard, and this thing that we have to accomplish is hard, and this one is echad. Each one is echad. Every single one of them, it's one day at a time. I think it's an important takeaway. One, 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 each one. You can only do one thing at a time. You know, you, you, we're, we're all the microwave generation. You know, we think, you know, everything has to be done like that. But one, one thing at a time, each one at a time. When you step back, you say, wow, there were 31 of them. I actually, you know, went through all that and um, look at, look at what's, where, where we've come, where we started and where we've come. And that can give you a certain amount of, um, uh, gratitude and you know, satisfaction that you've, you've conquered all these challenges one by one by one. It's a very, very interesting thing. I'll just add one more medrash here. All these kings, the medrash says, when Yitzhak was born, Yitzhak Avinu, so all of the, the kings of Canaan came to the bris, a big party that Abraham made for the uh, celebration. And they all mocked Abraham and Sarah. And they said, well, you know, she didn't have children for so long. And then she's taken by Abimelech. So clearly this is a son of Abimelech. Of course, the Medrash says that Yitzhak looked exactly like Abraham to put a, you know, uh, a stop to those kind of nasty uh, mockery and insinuations. But it's very, very interesting the Medrash says that Akash Baruch said to all those mocking kings, just wait, Yitzchak's children are going to come and they get millions of children of Yitzchak and they're going to take you out of your kingships and um, get rid of you. So don't make fun of other people. <laughs> okay, now this brings us to Parak Gimel. I said, you know what? I, I think that we should move a little bit faster because there's a lot of geography here. So we're in Perak Yud Gimel. Yeah. You also got a good post for, for Rosh Chodesh. It reminds me a little of Avraham Zaken Baba Yamim. You know, you're supposed to say that after Halal. Right. And here we have it. Yoshua Zaken Baba Yamim. It's really true. It's really true. It's a Rosh Chodesh thing. It's interesting. It's interesting that Yoshua is compared to Avraham. Just stop with that. Perak Yud Gimel Pasuk Aleph. We heard this phrase about Avram Avinu. And that is a tremendous, tremendous compliment for Yoshua. If you're being compared to Avram Avinu, that is huge. And what does it mean, Zakein Baba Yamim? Right? So the Mepharshim take different ideas about it. Um, and... The general understanding of the Medrash and the Zohar is that if a person is Zakein Baba Yamin, that means they're old and that their days, they're coming in their days, so that every single day is another accomplishment. Every single day is another step up, like we said just before, like one thing at a time. Every day that Abraham lived, was he was greater than the previous day. Every day he drew closer to Kodesh Baruch Hu. Every day was a, another step in his journey toward close to Hashem. And I think that's a, another beautiful lesson for us to think about, that the whole idea here is that the days count. Every day should count. Every day should give us a, a, um, a Every day should give us a, uh, a step forward in the direction of the Kaddish Baruch Hu. So um, this is a kind of interesting thing here that Hashem says to Yoshua, Yoshua, Parakyu Gimel Pasuk Alav, Yoshua Zakein Baba Yamim, Bayom Hashem Elav, Ata Zakanta, Bata Bayamim, Ba'aretz Neshara Habeim Ma'od Lemishta. Hashem says to Yoshua, you have become old, you have become you have come along in the days, which we said is a compliment, but the, and the land has remained a lot to inherit. In other words, we, we are not finished this job. Let, let me go to this text here to show you what's going on here. 
um, parakeet gimel. The way your gimel is divided up, okay, it's a, it's a longer parak than you'd bet, but it's a lot of geography. The first section is from Aleph to Yudalit. This is a list of the land that was not yet conquered. And I'll explain that in a minute. Then Tetvav, right? Tetvav, Chavdalet, and Chavtet. I'm sorry, Tetvav to Chavgimel. Let's put it this way. Tetvav to Chavgimel, we see what's the Nahala of the children of Ruvay in the East Bank. Chavdalet to Chavchet, the Nahala of God in the East Bank. Chavtet to Lamedbet, the Nahala of half of Menashe, we'll talk about it in a few minutes. And then Lamed Gimel, Levi doesn't get Nachala. So it's, it's, a, it's another kind of a list to Gimel. So let's take a look at it. Um, Hashem says to Yoshua, there's a lot that hasn't been conquered yet. And then we go through a whole list of this. Pasuk Bet, Zotars and Asherit, Kogliot, Pishnah, Hogshuah. And then we go through a whole list of the nations that are unconquered from 1 to 14, 14 psukim on that. But we have to like focus a little bit on what's happening here between Yoshua and Akadosh Baruch Hu. So we said back in chapter 11 that Yoshua had stalled a little bit in the conquest because he, he was told that after he finishes his job, he's going to uh, leave this world. And um, there it says, Yamim Rabim Masa Yoshua at Kol Hamlachim Ela Melchama. Yoshua took a long time for this battle. And the Chazal are critical, and they say Yoshua should have hurried up, which is, of course, something that we, we mentioned then as a lesson for us not to stall and not to. Not to procrastinate, just you know, have a mitzvah to do, just do it. But now we come to the 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 result of that, uh, and it's it's sort of like we don't want to leave off with a criticism of Yoshua. So Hashem says, Yoshua, you are so great. But the fact of the matter is that it's not really happening anymore. The rest of the conquest is not really happening. And this is a very, very critical uh, thing to understand about the conquest of the land of Israel. And I think that because we live here, or some of us live here now, or we recognize what's going on here now, it's possible for us to understand how this worked. The main conquest happened the Jews took over the land and the Kanani tribes were in retreat. They were on the defense. They were afraid. But not every single area was conquered. In the time of Yoshua, it should have been. It was a problem, but it wasn't. It was not done. And a lot is said about this, starting here, going on in, in Sefer Shoftim. A lot is said about the tribes that were not uh, the, the areas that were not conquered by the Jewish people. For us to get a sense of what that's like, all you have to do is just go to the old city. Here you go. Go anywhere in Israel, anywhere in Israel, and you are not going to be far from some Arab village because that's the reality. That's the reality. And the, the test, you know, the time of the Tanakh, we were told, to get rid of them all. We did it. So that became a challenge. God says, okay. In chapter two of Shoftim, God says, oh, you don't want to get rid of them? Okay. Now you can't. Now you are stuck with them. And now it's a challenge for you and it's a test for you to deal with it. And I always feel that this is a very, very contemporary sort of situation because, you know, I mean, I, I, I just remember the stories of uh, 67 when our, our foolish leaders, you know, told, told the Arabs who were running away in terror, Hebron and the old city, they knew what they did to us. They were running away in terror. They were afraid in those days. And, uh, and uh, you know, Moshe Dayan and his type, they ran after them and said, no, don't run away. We can all live together. 
Right, and Harabite was Miadeno, and they gave the keys back to the lock. So now we're stuck with that situation. So basically, this is the situation. Of course, it's not analogous. I don't want you to think it's analogous because the Jewish people had a command straight from God. This is how you do, and this is what's going to happen. But in terms of the, the practicality, I think we can see tremendous parallels to what we're living with today. It's, uh, you know, the enemy around the corner. And that's a lot harder to deal with than the, the enemy, you know, two countries over. Okay, so at this point in Perak Yud Gimel, Pasuk Bet, we go through, um, uh, well, let's go back for a second. When it says, you're too old, the Ralbach says, you're too old to continue conquest. Now you're going to be doing Chalukah, you're going to be uh, apportioning the land, it's, uh, you know, it's too late. That's not going to be your job anymore. So that's one of the things that we have to understand. And um, we we move along. Parashbar, who says he's very great, but this is the reality. Okay, Pasik Bet. Zota Aretz HaNisharet Kaglilot Klishti Mechol All Gililot are regions, Mechozot. All the Klishti and all the Gishuri. Shichor, uh, Shichor is is the Nile River, the Nilus. From the Nile, which is on the face of Mitzrayim, Ashel Pnei Mitzrayim, Pasi Gimel, Vadgul Ekron Safona Leknani, until the border of Ekron, north of Knani, like, I'm sorry, Gvul Ekron Safona, Laknani Techashev. This is going to be considered Kanani territory now. Okay, we have a little bit of a problem here, if you count. The five Sarne Plishtim, Azati, one, Ashdodi, two, Ashkeloni, three, Giti, four, Ekroni, five. Who are the Avim? <laughs> what are you doing in this list? And we see all through Sefer Shoftim and at the end of Yoshua, we see that the Philistines had five principal cities. What are these Avim there? What are they doing there? So either, right, Matsuda says, Hemlo Pishtim, they're not Pishtim. They were also territory that was left unconquered. Um, another opinion is that the Avim were just a small town. They didn't get to get their own uh, Seren and their own uh, governor. So we don't know exactly what the Avim are, but they are mentioned in the Chumash as a uh, these tribes. So if we take a look, um, I have to find the best map here. Yeah, this map, what's good about this map is it shows you in color all the places that are not captured. You see the white, right? Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron. This is the Plishti area. Now, the Plishti area is the coastal area. Ashdod, Ashkelon, Aza, till today, Aza is not a nice place. Um, here, where is it? Where is it? I'm looking for my dot mikra map. There you go. Okay. So the course of dot mikra, this is the Abim here. This is the coast. And if you look down further left, you see the Shihor. This is already Egypt. The lands of Goshen, which sort of borders the Geshuri, they suggest are here. But Geshur could be up here. Geshur is also up north in the more in the Golan area. So we're not so clear on all these places. And that's one of the problems with learning Yoshua is that um, there are a number of places that are mentioned that we don't know. Although the Dasmiku does a very nice job trying to figure out where everything is, but it's it's not so clear. But that's one of the main territories that was left. Okay. And Dalid, Pasik Dalid, Nitaman Kalaritz Knani, Maara, Shalatinono, Arafeka, Gulamori from the south, all the Knani lands. Until the north to Tzidon, Afeka, till the border there, Moi, Asakeva, Aretz had Gibli, the Halalubanon, Gibli, it's not, we don't know exactly what that is, but Lebanon, east of the sun from Baal Gad, and Dasmiko thinks that's Baalbek, all the way up north, Lebanon, Tachatar Kermon, Adlevo Hamat, all that, Pasik Bab, Koyashaya Harmon, Albanon, and Misfermayim, called Tzidon, Anoch, and now here is where. Let, let's let's go back to the map for just one second. All of these area, Lebanon, 
Givli, he, they think Givli is here. This is the Das Mikra, Baal Gad, Bikat Lavanon, Hermon. All this is way up north of Lebanon today, Lebanon. That all is not conquered. And in Pasuk Vav, right, Hashem says to Yoshua, all these people, called right, all those people up north there, Anochi Israel. Hashem tells Yeshua, I will get rid of them before the children of Israel. But you, Yeshua, your job now is to divide up the land in the uh, inheritance as I commanded you. In other words, Yeshua's job, his role has changed. God says to him, okay, uh, conquest happened, wars happened, now your job is to give them their territory and have each tribe know. Pasuk Zion, Yud Gimel Zion. And I want you to divide up the land, this land, in the inheritance for the nine tribes and the half tribe of Menashe. So the Abarbanel says the point of this is that we should understand where we're supposed to be. Every tribe is going to get the delineation of where their territory is. And now it's going to be their job to deal with the natives. And that is going to vary from tribe to tribe. And that's told in the first chapter of Shoftim how that actually played out. Some tribes went ahead, conquered their territory, and some tribes well, were just not interested and they let it go. And that had many, many, many ramifications. Uh, now we're talking about the Pasuk Chet. Imo, with the half tribe of Menashe, with Reuben and God, they took their Nahala that Moshe gave them on the uh, east bank of the Jordan, that like, uh, like Moshe again, Evan Hashem, emphasized again and again, Moshe, Evan Hashem. Now, if you take a look at this story here, you have to ask yourself, what is going on with the half of Shevet of Menashe, right? If you go back to Bamidbar, where this whole story happens, just to recap, for those who don't remember, in Parshas Matos, Ruvain and God, no mention of Menashe, they come to Moshe Rabbeinu and they say, you know, it's really great territory here. It's tremendous. We have a lot of uh, flocks. We'd like to stay here. And Moshe is like horrified. He's like, what are you, another bunch of spies? You, you don't want to go into the land? What are you talking about? He's very upset. And they say, no, 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 so Moshe does that for them with a stipulation that they have to go in the land and conquer with the Jewish people. But now the basic conquest is over. So the tribes of Reuben and God are now going to get their Nahla. In other words, the distribution of their Nahla didn't happen. The conquest happened already, but what's Reuben, what's God, what's Menashe didn't happen yet. And why is Menashe in there? Um, so I heard a wonderful thing. Losing my voice. From Rav Soloveitchik, which is really, really nice. He says, <coughs> Yosef, it's an interesting concept. He says, Yosef was Yosef at Tzadik, and he was the example of how you live in a rich gullus, a rich gullus, and stay true to Kaddish Baruch Hu. Because Yosef, right, lived in that <coughs> gilded cage, but he always stayed true to Kajbah. So his son Menashe is able to do that. Now, essentially, the east bank of the Jordan is a rich gullus. They have beautiful pasture land. They have, you know, a nice uh, setup for themselves there. So half the shape of Menashe, Rav Soloveitchik says, is there to let the, 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 the two and a half tribes learn how to stay true to Hashem even in a test of wealth. And what's with the other half? Why is the other half 
on the West Bank. So Rav Soloveitchik says very beautifully, Yosef loved the lands of Israel. The last thing he asked for was that his bones be buried in Israel. He could not take his son and all of his descendants and put them in a place that's technically not the land of Israel. I thought it was a very beautiful thought. Okay. Now, Pasuk Tet begins <coughs> the uh, general sense of what was the land. And all the cities of Sichon, right, who, who, who was a king in Cheshbon, until the border of the Me'amon, Pasuk so from Pasuk Tet, all right, and put, till Pasuk Yid we have this discussion of the uh, cities of Sichon. And then we have the cities of, and you'd bet, um, the cities of Og. And <clears throat> take a look at the map. Right, all these cities I mentioned here, Devon, Salcha, Ashtarot. You take a look at Zasmikra map, Macha, Geshur, right? And Pasukimuloha Rishib Nasrila Takshura Tamahati. Bayeshiv Geshur Mahati carries her Yomase. That is here. Geshur and Macha. These are pockets of non-Jewish settlement, right? Only the tribe of Levi did not get any inheritance. They did not get land. The Isha the, is a fire offering. The gifts of Hashem, the God of Israel, that is his portion as Hashem spoke to him, to whom? To Moshe and to Aaron. Now, so we have this Stop for a second. In other words, what's the point of telling us about Levi in order for us to understand who are the 12 tribes? Because Levi is not part of the division of the land. And instead, Yosef gets two portions, which is one for Menashe and one for Ephraim. And, and Menashe is divided on both sides of the Jordan. Now we have the division of the, the lands of Ruben. Let's get to them in a second, just to show you the, the area. Okay, Reuben has this, all this tribe, that's Reuben, right? The territory that was Cheshbon. Now, at the end of this discussion of Reuben's territory, we go into this discussion of the principal uh, princes of Midian. Okay, who were the princes of Midian? Evi. Rekep, Sur, Hur, Reba. The Sichai, Sichon, they were the princes of Sichon who dwelt in the land. Now, I just want you to know, right, if you pay attention, right, the, the Tanakh is telling us here that these five Midianite kings lived in the same land of Sichon. They were those who prostituted their daughters and sent them to trap the Jewish people after the incident at the Billah. If you remember the name of the woman that was caught with the, the prince of the house of Shimon, right, Zimri, Zimri, his, the woman was called Kuzbi, the daughter of Tsur. And imagine how despicable you have to be as a leader of your people to send your daughter out like that. And then Chafbet, Ve'ed Bilam ben Ba'or ha'kosem hargu and Bilam, the son of Beor, the magician, the sorcerer, the children of Israel killed by the sword um, and the, uh, with the other victims. It's interesting if we're already talking about all of the kings of the Sichon and the, the princes 
of the Midianites there, we're going to mention Bilaam, who was also killed at the same time. And the Bepharshim make a note of this, that he's called Hakosim. Wasn't he a Navi? Why are we taking him down in stature and calling him a sorcerer, which is very different? The Ramban talks about him by Midbar, and the Radak mentions it here. He was just a sorcerer. He was just a person with some evil uh, stuff. And only Kodesh who gave him true prophecy for the greatness of the Jewish people. And he was not really a true prophet. And in fact, when he died, he died by the sword, which is a lesson to him because his weapon was the weapon of the mouth. And because he abused it, he was struck with the weapon of the sword. And that is a, a comment, you know, back, back in the uh, comments of Yitzchak, when Yaakov comes in, he says, Akol kol Yaakov, the weapon of the Jewish people is supposed to be the voice and the davening and the connection to God. And the weapon of Esau is, you know, uh, weapons of war. So Bilaam appropriated the Jewish weapon, but was struck with the weapon of Esau. Okay. Um, <laughs> Again, this is all very technical. The borders of Ruben, I showed you. You look on the map, right? I'm sorry, that's not as helpful as this one. This one. This is the area of God, right? And up here, this is not good. Uh, so we have a million, million maps, and none of them are quite satisfactory. There you go. This is God. And this is Menashe. And this is Menashe. And here is color coded, which is very useful. Ruven is this. God is here. And Menashe and Menashe is here. Getting back to the text. This is mentioned back in Chumash, 60 cities. Moshe Rabbeinu conquered 60 cities of Og, and they were given out, some were called Chavot Yair. The um, Chava is like a plantation or farm, and the way to remember that is with the children's song, Right, that goes la dod Moshe hayachava iya iya ya. You know, chavot ya'ir and chavot ya'ir comes up again and again. Mechatzia pasuk lamral chatzia gilad b'shterot bedrei arayim amachot og b'abashan. The bnei machi ben Menashe machi was another one of Menashe's sons. Mechatzia bnei machi lebishvatam. There was a very very um, big tribe, uh, Menashe and his son Machir got the cities of. Og, these are the cities that Moshe gave over in the um, in the plains of Moab in the east bank of the Jordan and Yericho. And at the end it says here. We're summing up again to remember that Levi gets the gifts of Kahuna and the gifts of Rubiim, the Tumors and the Maestras. I'll just end with one thought, a beautiful thought that um, Ruvain, Ruvain gets his Nahala first. And the Chazal say, why did Ruvain get his Nahala first? Because Ruvain was about Shuba. Ruvain sinned back in uh, Safer Gracious when Rachel dies and um, Yaakov moves in with Bilha, which Ruvain feels is an insult to Leah, and he starts moving Yaakov's things to Leah's tent, 
which was an unwarranted interference in his father's life. And um, he's punished for that. He's, he's punished for that. And he realizes right away that he's made a big mistake. Yaakov Avinu criticizes him for this. Right? Pachas Kamayim, you were hasty, you did the wrong thing. And we find later on that Ruvain is doing tshuva for this his whole life. And in the merit of the tshuva that he did, Kashbahu recognized the greatness of Ruvain because a lot of people, when they make a mistake, when they do something wrong, they, they double down on it, they defend themselves, they, they, they try to give excuses. Ruvain had good excuses. He was thinking of the honor of his mother, which is not a bad thing. But Ruvain was a very um, honest and a humble person. And he was able to say, I've made a big mistake and I'm going to do tshuva for that. And as a reward for that tshuva, he's the one who got the nachala first. I did mention, I don't know if I did mention, I think I did, just to recap, that the reason that the nachala is divided for Ruvain got him a nasha here and not in the time of Moshe is because until the Congress was done for the whole nation. Ruvain, God, and Manasseh weren't going to get their portions on the other side of the Jordan. So like I said, uh, I, I rushed you a little bit. I did two chapters, and the, uh, the second one was quite long. But I do think that we move a little bit faster when there's so much geography. OK, 